Good morning, church. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be Acts chapter 28, verses 28 through 31. And that's going to be found on page 882 of your pew Bible. It'll also be on the screen as well. Would you read God's word with me? Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with a boldness and without hindrance. This is God's word. Thanks be to him for it. Well, as Davis said, this is my last Sunday before um, a summer of sabbatical, a time away and a time to rest. I'm going to be doing some continuing education um, as well as working on a writing project. Um, but the largest portion of the sabbatical is going to be rest and uh, time with my family and time at Hershey Park, I think. You're going to see us at church here and there, but we're also going to visit a few of the churches where my friends pastor here in town. In a staff meeting a few months ago, um, I mentioned to the guys that some Sunday <laughs> I wanted to see Ben and Noah and David all lead worship on the same Sunday. <laughs> So thank you for doing that this morning, and thank you for playing the hymn, Speak, O Lord, which Ben knows is the joke around the office has been for a number of years that that's my pump-up song, for my, my walk-up, my WWF wrestling song to come out to, to preach, uh, so to speak, uh, is a wonderful song. So although my heart is full this morning, I'm actually going to preach a shorter sermon than normal. I mentioned two weeks ago that I want to leave time at the end of the sermon, but before communion, for our membership to say, any of those who would want to, what the Lord has done among us, and really to finish this sentence, and we'll put it on the slide at the very end of the sermon, but this sentence, although it's been a hard few years, I have seen God's grace among us in. Yeah, so that'll go up later, and if you'd like to speak to that, there'll be an opportunity to do so for the members of our church. A few weeks ago, Tony preached from two entire chapters, (laughs) Uh, and he did a good job. This morning, I have just two verses. It's the smallest passage we've taken through our study in the book of Acts, and we're coming finally to the famous verse I've been referring to for almost two years, Paul in Rome proclaiming Jesus boldly, all done without hindrance. It's a small passage, but a big truth, and I ask that you would pray with me as we begin this sermon together. Lord, we sang a few moments ago, which is to say we prayed a few moments ago, that you would teach us full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. And that you would cause our faith to rise and our eyes to see. Lord, that's what I pray now again. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak until your church is built. Until the world is filled with the knowledge of who you are. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. 
Well, two Fridays ago, I went to New York City for the first time in my life, which is strange. I, we've, I've now been here seven years. I've never gone up to New York. I don't know why, but I didn't. So I did. I was one of several chaperones on a school field trip. And we went to Ellis Island and Liberty Island and, and did all of that. It was a wonderful day, sunny, 70 degrees, not a cloud in the sky, at least in the morning. And we traveled the ferry several times throughout the day. I don't know, just show of hands, how many people have done that? I'm just, so, okay, I'm looking at more than half. That's, that's probably two-thirds. Um, so I don't know if they had this when you went, but at each time we left, because we left Battery Park a few times on this ferry, there was a pre-recorded message. And among the other announcements, passengers were told where to find safety devices. So if you're on such and such a deck of the ferry, then the life vests are here. If you're on the upper deck, then the life vests are here. And, oh, by the way, here's where the lifeboat is located. That sort of thing. And the final sentence told us this. We do not anticipate using any of these safety devices. (laughs) That's what they said. That's the last sentence. I heard it like four times. We kept riding the ferry. And a few thoughts came to mind. First, isn't that what they thought on the Titanic? I'm like, (laughs) that's not very encouraging. (laughs) We don't intend to use any of these. And then there was only one lifeboat, and there's like 600 people. So I thought, also a lesson from the Titanic, and not very encouraging. But those were my first thoughts. My second thought, as I listened to that recording, went to the book of Acts. The message over the loudspeaker essentially said, we have lots of safety devices that could help us if we run into serious problems, but there is zero expectation there could be serious problems. The subtext was essentially saying, we just have to tell you this for legal purposes. When we began the sermon series through the book of Acts in October of 2019, I want to assure you that is not how we were looking at the book of Acts. All summer long, 2019, I felt as though we would need a book. We would need preaching. We would need a gospel. We would need insights into the strength and sovereignty and kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ as displayed in the lives of real Christians amid real opposition that would carry us through hard times. In short, that summer I kept looking at the book of Acts, not from the safety of a ship in calm water, but as a pastor on a ship already in a storm. So let's rewind. In April of 2019, one of our longtime pastors and my co-pastor and a friend told me he was taking a new job in a new city, at a new church. And then in May, we told all of you, His last Sunday was the last Sunday in June. And across that summer, unexpected by most of us, especially me, 40 new people showed up, wanted to join small groups we didn't have with leaders that didn't exist. All the while, we were down a pastor. Also, we had to work through little pockets of drama that related to those who kind of popped up as after Jason left. Ben, Pastor Ben was here. We're also thankful for that, myself especially. Um, 
He was pushing hard in seminary at the time, leading our youth group, leading our music, and we asked the hard ask of, can you do more? Can you preach more? Can you do more? He said yes and did it really, really well. But it was hard, wasn't it? Meanwhile, I officiated five weddings in two months. I completed my ordination process in our denomination, which required completing a huge paper and this four-hour oral examination of my defense of my theology. Then three days later, I had a massive shoulder surgery that left me in a sling for months, a recliner, sleeping in a recliner for longer, and then undergoing painful but helpful physical therapy for even longer. Meanwhile, we formed a search team to look for a new pastor, which meant we were not only short-staffed, but we had to devote part of each week to reading resumes and doing interviews. I remember going to lunch with you, David, you and Jamie back in January. I remember you looked at me and you're like, you look tired. You're very perceptive. Um, And that was in January. The Lord brought David to our church officially in the beginning or middle of March of 2020. I'm so thankful for that. And his first Sunday here as a pastor was our last Sunday as in-person gatherings. And we went into 13 weeks where we were locked down. And a few of us spent all day Saturday here trying to record sermons. And then some of us spent into the night setting them up so that we could watch them in our homes. As a pandemic spread across the country. And just about one year ago in May, I would say I had almost nothing left to give. And, and there's more I could said and have said in smaller settings about that time. Which is all a roundabout a way to illustrate that I wasn't overstating my point, I think. When I said that all summer long in 2019, I kept looking at the book of Acts, not from the safety of a ship on calm water, but on, as a pastor already in a storm. And it wasn't just that I felt we would need a book and we would need preaching and we would need a gospel and we would need insights into the kindness and strength of God seen in the lives of real Christians amid um, hostility that would carry us through. But it was that I needed a book. I needed preaching. I needed a gospel. I needed insights into the character of God that would carry me through hard times. And I think in God's kindness, he's done that for us. I know he's carried me. In the summer of 2019, Pastor Ben and I made a list of the hindrances in the book of Acts. Just, okay, we're getting ready to preach it. Going to call the series without hindrance. It's just the list hindrances in the book of Acts. And so I realized it might be unhelpful to just read them to you. So I, I, this morning I made a decision. They're tucked in the little seat pouch thing. If you want to look at it or if you want to just listen, whatever you want to do, um, grab one, take one, leave some for the other services, whatever you would like to do. But I want to read hindrances as we looked at the book of Acts. This is not exhaustive, but the list, the working list we had that summer. Number one, outright persecution via beatings and martyrdom. For example, the first martyr, Stephen, or excuse me, James. Well, Steve, I had those backwards. Stephen, then James later. 
I think. No, wait. Now I'm, I'm second guessing myself. Which one's first? Uh, no, Stephen's in six and seven. But also there was softer persecution. Like when Peter and the other disciples in Acts chapter two, they say, like, you guys are just drinking too much wine. They're like, it's nine o'clock. We're, uh, we're not drunk. Acts 17, they laugh at Paul. Another hindrance, number two, racism, as seen in places like Acts 6 with the issues around food distribution and Acts 10 and 11 with Cornelius' conversion and the hesitancy of Peter and others to embrace what God was doing. Number three, Christianity clashes with idols, both physical idols and heart idols. Number four and five go together as kind of two extremes. Number four, religious fundamentalists were surprised to learn they too needed to repent. You know the whole Old Testament by heart? Good. Repent and come to Jesus. Like that's hard to hear. The converse of that, the other extreme, was a liberal, permissive, pluralistic background of the Roman Empire that can't understand the exclusivity of Jesus. In other words, people believed, many people believed, just as all roads or many roads lead to Rome, many roads lead to God, however he might be defined. Oh, look, and here's an idol to the unknown God, Acts 17. Number six, true Christians are a minority. Number seven, the newness of new converts and all that comes with immaturity. Number eight, idolization of and worship of political leaders. So in Acts chapter 12, you have King Herod. He gives a speech, and at the end of his speech, all the people cry. That's the voice of a God, not a man. And because he fails to give glory to God, God strikes him down. (laughs) Number nine, leadership transitions. Certainly the transition of Jesus' ascension to heaven, but also among the disciples. And then later with Paul, and then with Gentile leaders. Artaxerxes and Trophimus and all these other Greek leaders in the early church that only get mentioned briefly. Number 10, financial greed and selfishness, as seen in Acts 5 and other places, but especially with the death of Ananias and his wife Sapphira. Number 11, there's this battle over the Old Testament scriptures, and who is it who has the correct story of the Old Testament, which is why Stephen's speech is so long there before they kill him. Quoting over and over again the Old Testament. Number 12, the hindrance of religious tribalism and market share were valued as way more important than truth. That's that's a huge thing with the Jewish groups. You see it over and over again. Paul preaches, hey, we like what you do. Paul preaches again, the whole town comes back, whoa, we don't like what you do. What's that mean? Market share was more important to them than truth. That should sound contemporary as do many of these. Number 13, spiritual apathy. Number 14, how to reckon with the undeniably miraculous events in the book. Number 15, genuine conversion was costly to converts in a this-must-change-my-life sort of way. Like, there's no sliding into Christianity as though, hey, I was this over here, and now I'm a Christian, and nothing really changes, which is the way it always is. Just forget that. Number 16, demonic opposition. Number 17, differing cultures colliding, both within the church and also Christianity and 
with, with the Jewish and secular culture. So there's clashes within Christianity. It's a, it's a diverse church, age, race, economics, ethnicity, backgrounds. But then Christianity with the larger world of Judaism and the secular Roman Empire, all of those clashes standing in hindrance to the advance of the gospel. And number 18, the greatness of the task and the scarcity of resources. Now, that was our list of hindrances within the book of Acts, which I've never read before in a church service across these 18 months we've been preaching. But I would pull this out often. I left it on my computer. Sometimes I'd print it. Sometimes I'd relook at it. And yet, even as I look at this list now, I'm reminded of how often the book of Acts is filled with strategically placed summary verses. We've talked about these before. I want to talk about them again. These strategically placed summary verses to show God's kingdom advancing and his church being built through and despite all these hindrances. Let me read some of these summary verses to you. You won't be able to flip there. They're not on a piece of paper, but just listen to them. Hear this one from Acts chapter 2, probably the most famous. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking excuse me, and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved, or this one from chapter 5. And more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, or this one from chapter 6. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Now mark this. Listen to this. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Acts chapter 6, 7. All that legwork lay, you know, laid down in the Gospels and Jesus and all that hard-heartedness. Here in Acts, we receive many of the priests are getting saved. This one from chapter 9. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. This one from chapter 12, right after King Herod Died, But the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts chapter 16. So the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in numbers daily. This one from chapter 19. So the word of God continued to increase and prevail mightily. You hear a pattern. And then finally we come to the last passage in the book. Which just so happens to be the last verses in the book. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without what? Hindrance. We've made the point over and again, over again that it was in and around and through and under and despite all that's happening, we have these summary verses and, and just sandwiched all around them is chaos. Trials upon trials, suffering stacked on suffering, setbacks leading to more setbacks and hindrances piling up upon hindrances. And yet, the gospel goes forward boldly, sovereignly, without hindrance. The apostle Paul may enter Rome in chains, but the word of God is not chained. 
speaking of the word of God not being chained, during these two years from AD 60 to AD 62 that are spoken about here at the end of the book of Acts, two years it says, Paul wrote several letters. We call them the prison epistles. It's just a fancy word for letter. The four prison epistles being Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. I want to read, and if you have a Bible and you want to find Philippians, so if, you have the, if you're in the book of Acts, just kind of go over a little bit more. You're going to hit Romans and 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and a couple more. You're going to be in Philippians. Short. Um, might be helpful just to see this in print. Again, so I'm going to read something from chapter 1 and then something from chapter 4 from Philippians. And, and, and this is a letter that Paul in jail in Acts, at the end of Acts that we're talking about now, he's writing this letter over to Philippi. Church in Philippi, we call it Philippians. Chapter 1, I want to read verses 12 through 14. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what's happened to him, shipwreck, imprisonment, etc. I want you to know what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. And to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What's going through Paul's head? In Acts, this. In other words, because of the hindrance of Paul's imprisonment, the gospel has run through the whole Roman imperial guard without hindrance. All the soldiers want to know, who is this guy we're guarding, and who is it he's worshiping? Because this is crazy. And Paul says, it's Jesus. Now flip to the end. Philippians chapter 4. Last three verses. Philippians 4, 21, 22, and 23. Note this, oh, by the way, in the sign-off of Philippians. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of, put your finger on it, who is it, house? Especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. So Paul's signing off this letter from jail in Rome to Philippi. And he says, oh, by the way, there's this guy named Caesar. You might have heard of him. He's the most powerful man in the world. And oh, by the way, his family's getting saved. And they just want me to tell you hello. That is wild. After these two years, Paul was released from prison. He did more missions work, perhaps even getting to Spain, as he told the church in Rome. So at the beginning of chapter 20, in around the details, we realize he wrote a letter over to Rome. He hadn't been there. He wanted to get there. Now he's there. But, but in that letter he wrote, we call it Romans. He said, I want to get to Spain, preach the gospel there. No one's preached it there. I want to get there. And maybe he did after he got out in AD 62, but during that time, he also wrote the letters of 1 Timothy. He wrote Titus, and then about five years later, he goes back into jail around AD 67. 
where he writes 2 Timothy. You don't have to be a scholar to, to notice this. Just take eight minutes. You could read 2 Timothy. You realize this guy's at the end of his life. And he was. Church tradition has it that he was shortly thereafter beheaded by Nero. Not by Nero, but as the extension of Nero's persecution. So why didn't Luke write about all that stuff? All that stuff in the next five years and six years. Why did Luke, in the book of Acts where he did, after traveling Paul, with Paul for years, chapter 16, verse 10, Paul's, or Luke is in and out of the book of Acts with Paul. Why didn't, why didn't Luke finish Paul's story? Well, we can't know for sure. Like you can't go in his head and say, okay, why didn't you do this or that? I suspect he had many reasons. But I'm pretty sure one of them was this. The book of Acts is not about Paul. It's not about you. The book of Acts is about the living Jesus. Jesus was born. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus ascended to the throne of the universe. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And just as Acts chapter 1 verse 11 promised, this same Jesus will return just as he came. Or just as he went up, he's going to come back down. The book of Acts is about the living Jesus. That's why it ends the way it does. I titled this sermon, Without Hindrance to the End of the Age. It's an allusion to Jesus' last words in the book of Matthew. I want to read them to you now as we close our series in the book of Acts. And Jesus came and said to them, the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority, heaven, earth, given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's what the book of Acts is doing. That's what we're to be doing. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Two promises there. There's an end of the age, and I'm with you till the end. D, Jesus is with us even now in all his authority and all his power. This book is a missionary book because we have a missionary God who goes with his people, gathering more people. I just want to say to you, if, if, if you want in on this salvation, it's for you. It's for you too, and for you, and for you, and for you. And for all of us, all that we have to do is ask. Jesus exalts himself to show us mercy. I'm going to pray. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we do pray that you would speak until your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.